0: to another episode of ask the zamboni experts i'm doug peters and along with me today going to host this is our account manager from imi chris fish and our guest today is justin burnell from the city of medicine hat welcome gentlemen chris i'm going to have you take it away and fire the questions off to justin
1: all righty thanks doug hey justin how's it going hey real good you chris I'm doing well. So first off, I want to say thank you for uh, joining us in this. Again, you've been a really big uh, voice for me here in Alberta, especially with the uh, 450s and the uh, push to move forward to the lithium ion. I know Medicine Hat has... Uh, for years been on a different fuel source and to move this direction was actually fantastic. What was the deciding factor, I guess, for you to decide to move away from the fossil fuel? Well, Chris,
2: I guess um, I'll step back a little bit. Uh, During our budgeting cycle, uh, moving into 2019, we identified that uh, two of our uh, current units had uh, reached end of life. and uh, We had originally uh, really planned to replace like with like and likely go with another Uh, 526, Um, And uh, during the exploration process, we got connected with uh, the MCCAC and uh, discovered there was some uh, grant money that would be available uh, for alternative fuels. Um, So uh, a little bit last minute, we put the brakes on our procurement process and had a conversation with our recreation department to find out is this something they'd be interested in. to my uh, surprise uh they were very, very receptive to the idea of uh, at least starting to explore it um and uh the further down the rabbit hole we got in looking at uh you know electric alternatives, uh we found that there was really a potential for a good fit, given that the technology had come a long way since uh it had last been looked at, and uh the uh, grant funding that was going to be available through the MCCAC uh, brought it in, br- made it become financially feasible for us to go down that road.
1: No, awesome. Uh, I know when you and I had first met two years ago, uh, I guess it's going on two years now, um, there was a bit of concern because, again, moving from, um, I guess, with the talk of lead acid. Is where we initially started that conversation. And then when we started talking about the lithium ion, um, can you kind of speak towards what the catalyst was on the decision between the two? Sure. So, um,
2: lead acid's obviously been around for uh, quite some time. And as everybody's well aware, um, there's uh, a, a fair a fair amount of, I guess, we'll call it maintenance that's required on them to make sure the batteries are uh, topped up, they're operating properly, Uh, the failure rates on them can um, be relatively high at times. Um, And not only does that lead to additional uh, cost and downtime for a machine, but also adds a fairly significant uh, uh, health and safety uh, risk to uh, our operators or our technical staff to who have to perform that work. Um, so when we really started getting the meat and potatoes of what could it look like for us to go electric, uh, we made a decision fairly early on that if we were going to go electric, we uh, were going to go with a lithium-ion battery uh, and that would allow us to um, get the, we'll call it the life cycle or the range out of it that we're going to need while eliminating the health and safety risks that come with it and also eliminating the additional work that would come with it that translates into either more downtime or more time for my technical staff to be out working on this equipment. So uh, it became a fairly easy uh, easy win when we started comparing the uh, lithium ion versus the lead acid and the fairly small uh price difference between the
1: two technologies now based on you know there was a few things that you were talking about um with regards to your media piece again you did a fantastic article for the mccac um and then you're putting together some new information uh based on the comparisons of fossil fuel to electric what are some of the things that you're kind of hoping to gain from the differences between the two
2: Sure. So I I think one of the uh, the the key pieces that uh, we need to look at, just the with the uh, the economy being what it is, and every dollar and cent counting, is um, making environmentally sound decisions is extremely important. But we need to do them uh, in a fiscally responsible way. And uh, one of the things that we believe we will be able to do uh, with the 450 electric is that we should actually be able to save money over uh, the life cycle of these units. Um, So uh, our initial uh, belief and understanding is that we should see about an 80% uh, fuel savings, fuel cost savings uh, starting immediately, and then uh, over the lifetime of that unit, we should see approximately a 30% decrease in maintenance. so that's going to translate into some fairly significant dollars and cents uh, over the lifetime of these units, which uh, theoretically should more than cover the cost of the uh, price increase on the machine. Um, and again, with the MCCAC uh, grants that were available, that really made the business case very strong.
1: The the process for you, for the MCCAC, um, how did you find that process? I know there's a lot of individuals out there some of are saying that you know it's been pretty smooth and there's been a few that um I don't know if it's just some of the key points they're looking for, but what was the process like for you uh very smooth the uh the team over at the m
2: c c i c uh were really great to deal with they uh walked us through all the steps um of course being a municipality uh any contracts need to run uh right up to the top to be signed off they worked with us to make sure uh We were able to work within timeframes to get that done. Um, We had an interesting hiccup that occurred uh, during our procurement process that everybody's uh, kind of exposed to now and COVID hit us, which uh, put a delay on the um, production and shipment of the batteries for our units. When we went back to the MCCAC and explained what had happened, we had some great communication with them. They were more than happy to work with us to extend some of our deadlines and uh, really work with us to make sure this project was gonna be a
1: success. Um, Now that you have the machines, um, we kind of talked a little bit about it, but what's the feedback been like so far?
2: Uh, I I guess overall, very good. Um, When I uh, talked to my mechanics, and my technical staff, they're very excited. They're really liking the way uh, the electrical technology was integrated into a system that is still very familiar to them. Um, And they're excited to get their hands into uh, working in that uh, space a little bit more. Um, The frontline operations staff uh, have been extremely receptive to it. Uh, At first, of course, with any significant change there's a little bit of hesitation but now that they've uh, had them out they've uh, had some training on them put them through their paces uh, what they're saying is they're surprised at how similar it operates to uh, their traditional fuel machines and they don't believe operationally it's going to have any negative impact Um, also with some of the uh, add-on features like the level ice uh, they're finding that they're going to uh, not only increase their um, increase their ability to do a consistent uh, flood and maintain consistent ice but it should actually end up giving them time back in their day to
1: focus on other items. Oh that's awesome I know that was one of the worries was when we did deliver the machines again when you go from a 500 series to a 400 series there was a bit of uh, concern there because of the the sheer size of the machine. And then the operation being pretty much identical, with a couple of features being less. You know, there was some uh, concern there, but uh, no, it was actually really well received to uh, have those units dropped off.
0: Uh, Justin, it's it's great to see that you guys are adapting to the electric machine. Uh, down here in the states, it's been uh, a lot longer that we've had the electrics. The 552 came out in 1990, and just Within the last year, it's been a game changer with uh, going with LI. And most all of our customers now are going that. And you brought up the topic about maintenance. That's one of the things we've learned in 30 years is that the batteries don't generally get um, the care that they need to. And that contributes to batteries failing early, which costs uh, the customer money. But I think you guys have made a great choice with the 450. I'm excited about that machine as well because that kind of led into us getting the LI battery available uh, down here in the States in the 552. And we've actually sold probably a half a dozen uh, 450s down here. There's the sister mall to uh, the Gramazians Mall in Edmonton, the West Edmonton Mall, uh, that's out in Jersey. And they're, if they can get open with the uh, governor allowing them to open, they'll have a 450, uh, a new 450 there pretty soon. But um, I think you guys are going down the road, uh, the right road uh, down here in the States. It's been a little bit more advanced in certain marketplaces, Minnesota and New England with electrics. And I think your, your staff is going to find that it's a great choice that you guys made.
2: No, I I couldn't agree more. uh, I think we've uh, really turned the corner. Um, It was an opportunity for us to dip into uh, the EV world a little deeper than we had. Um, Medicine Hat being an oil and gas town, um, obviously there's some uh, there was some concern in that, what are we getting into here? Is this the right technology? Is this the right time? Um, so far, everything we've heard back has been extremely positive. Um, our electricity rates are uh, fairly low. We uh, are one of the few municipalities in uh, Canada that own our own electric generation facility, so we really end up being completely vertically integrated, right from uh, the the gas wells that uh, supply our power generation plant to putting the power into the Zamboni, and um, we're going to get some great exposure on these units too, so uh, placement of them uh, became very important to us. Um, so we're home of the Medicine Hat Tigers and our Canalta Center is where they play. So we wanted to make sure we got one of these units into that uh, facility to really showcase uh, new technology and us taking a step forward, uh, both uh, from a fiscal responsibility perspective and an environmental responsibility perspective. But also uh, junior hockey and minor hockey is huge in Medicine Hat. And so we also have one of these units uh, going into one of our Uh, very busy arenas that sees uh, junior hockey constantly through the winter, so uh, it's going to get some great exposure uh, right through the community, Um, and uh, I think overall, uh, it's going to be a very positive addition to our fleet.
0: Well, You you talked about uh, cost of operation, and and that's something that uh, if you guys ever do an analysis, it would be awesome. Uh, for us to get the stats that you come up with. What we've found uh, down here in the States in the 30 years of the 552 is that the electric machine is really inexpensive uh, for the charging process. That uh, We had a study years and years ago that was eight to 10 kilowatts to take it from a full state of discharge to a full state of charge. Uh, and you know back in that day, you might've been looking at a nickel per KWH. KWH is much higher now Uh, down here depending on the marketplace but if you do any of that uh, research uh, we'd certainly love to get the feedback on that because that is something that you can go to a customer and um, uh, and let them know what um, what they're going to be looking at so that they put that fear behind them
2: yeah absolutely and it's it's one of the areas we're going to focus on quite closely and try to get as much uh we'll call it empirical data as we can we we do have the luxury i guess uh that within our fleet, we still have other uh, uh, five 526s that we are running that we can really do a good A-B comparison to say, okay, you know, per flood, here's where we're at and here's the price of gasoline, here's the price of propane, here's the price of electricity in our market. And, you know, how does this make business sense overall? Um, I know with anybody getting into the EV market, whether it be uh, equipment or vehicles, uh, the there's a bit of a sticker shock at the front end with the technology still being relatively expensive. Uh, but what, what's what been my experience is if you start rolling out the business case over the total life cycle of that unit, uh, all of a sudden it starts to make a lot of dollars and cents uh, to
0: go down that road. Yeah, we've had customers that have told us, uh, and again, early on in this, they figured that it was looking at a payback in the difference. Uh, between a fuel-powered machine and an electric machine of about five to, to seven years. And it, it really, I, I think, going down the road, even in certain marketplaces like Michigan, which in the States is a automobile-type uh, marketplace, a fuel-powered automobile, not necessarily electric, and in your province where they're more fuel-oriented, down the road, it's going to be something where I, I envision not in my working career, uh, cause I don't think I'll be around 20 more years working, but, uh, I think within that time frame, we're going to see people migrate strictly to electric machines and they'll wonder why they ever used a fuel powered machine, uh, in, in indoor facility. And you guys are definitely getting the jump on that.
2: Uh, absolutely. And I think, uh, the, the fuel costs, uh, difference is one line item that's considered, uh, When we started having conversations with our operational group and our facilities group about what would this look like to go down this road, uh, there was a couple, uh, I'll call them maybe less thought of uh, items that popped up. And one of that is uh, gas monitoring. So right now in any of our facilities, we need to have uh, monitoring systems that are, uh, you know, monitoring for CO2 and other emissions that are there as a direct result of the uh, ice ice resurfacers that we've chosen to run historically. Uh, What uh, our belief is, is that eventually we may be able to completely eliminate those or at least reduce them significantly, reducing the upfront cost and the maintenance costs on those systems as well. So when we start talking about building design, uh, there's there's some exponential savings operationally and capital that uh, can be realized by simply changing fuel sources which is then, again, reduces
0: that payback. Right. And that's something that in Minnesota, which is where I grew up, uh, they have some of the tightest uh, air quality standards in indoor ice rinks uh, in our country. And a lot of the facilities have gone uh, to electrics because with an electric ice resurfacer, they're not having to test the air quality like they would be required to with an electric ice resurfacer. And, you know, the big push I'm going with uh, in addition to not only the machines, but the edgers themselves, because the edger is a, a bigger polluter than uh, ice resurfacer is. And if you guys haven't made that jump, I'm going to assume you probably already have, but that that's the, the number one component to go. And if you've got the electric machines, go that route with the edgers as well.
2: Absolutely. And I think that's really the approach uh, we're trying to take uh, is, you know, taking these uh, logical steps and uh, the compound value of them, uh, both environmentally, uh, from a health and safety perspective, and then, of course, financially, really adds up to it, making good business sense and uh, really uh, uh, turns into a win for our whole
0: community. Chris, I'd like to throw it back to you because you're more aware of what options he's got, but uh, I see that they've got Zamboni Connect and Level Ice as options that uh, you're able to sell them on for, for their machine. Maybe you can go into depth with uh, Justin about these features. Absolutely. Thanks, Doug.
1: Yeah, you guys are correct. We did uh, manage to uh, discuss the Level Ice and the Connect option, um, something that uh, it is still relatively new for them because they've just actually got ice in. So it's just a matter of, how are they liking it so far uh, with the connect itself justin have you got yourself connected on there to see the data
2: uh, no connect we're still uh working with um our it department to uh I'll, I'll call it bridge that gap it's actually a learning that we uh had uh through this process that we won't uh make the mistake again but um we didn't get our it department involved maybe early enough so it's uh ended up causing a bit of a delay in us being able to utilize that feature but uh, we're in the process of working with them. Uh, we've taken a look at the features that are there and how they will work and we're excited to start uh, utilizing them.
1: One of the big components of that Connect system is something that uh, you can see in the, um, the, the manuals and the videos is a training piece and that's something that I talk to the operators about especially with some of the transition uh, right across the board right now As you get a lot of new young operators and uh, training becomes uh, a key component. Um, So, having all the information there uh, is going to give you guys that ability to sit people down first and actually look at everything before they actually get to do the hands-on the machine. Um, With the Canalta Centre in operation, have you had much feedback uh, with regards to the uh, Level Ice and how it's been working?
2: Uh, Yeah, um, I've had a couple conversations on the Level Ice system and uh, so far from both the we'll call it the management group and the frontline uh, user groups, uh, they say they're really, really liking it. Definitely a bit of a learning curve on it. Um, but I've heard a couple of people say that the, the, some of the hesitation around it was, they felt it was making them, turning them into a driver rather than a professional operator. And the uh, feedback I've gotten so far was, they actually are, are changing their thoughts around that, that it's not only going to, uh, keep them an operator, but it's really going to make uh, them take a great operator and add to their tool belt of how they continue to improve their skills and build on the skills they already have. Um, There's also thought that uh, when training new operators, the Level Ice system is going to help with that uh, transition from being a newbie to an expert.
1: And I'm glad you actually said that, because that is one of the key points. Um, Again, when you have Individuals that are operators who have been operating a long time, they see this component as a tool that they didn't see a benefit to, but when you actually look at it in depth, it actually assists on the work that they're doing, and it's good that you are actually able to hear those comments that um, you got drivers who are saying, "Now this is actually going to make me a better operator. Absolutely. Um, the I guess the component from the uh, Connect perspective is it'll be interesting to see how the data will be collected because, again, I know you're going to be doing the comparison between having been on the fossil fuel now over to the electric, but um, are you guys also looking at moving to solar power with any of the facilities and how will that will affect um, your overall costs? Uh, I, I don't know that
2: there's a, a current, I'll call it, plan in place to do that but uh, just the nature of uh, the way the energy markets are going and uh, energy uh, I'll call it production is happening it's inevitable that that is going to happen in a uh, larger scale and I think that'll all play into um, the future of how this technology is used by us.
1: Yeah also one of the things that you and Doug were talking about again with Alberta being such a huge fossil-fueled province especially in Canada um, it is you know it's been a bit of a um an effort and a push to get facilities even looking at electrics, let alone uh, the lithium ion because again, it is such new technology. Um, I know there's um the the taste for this is actually increased over the fact that you know you guys being uh, one of the first major municipalities in Alberta to jump on board this without hesitation. Um, You know, then I got West Edmonton Mall who jumped on board to this and just as Doug alluded to the sister mall in the US, um, that they're moving towards this. Um, You know, the fact that you've been a a really good voice for us, is there any other advice I guess at this point that, you know, might help kind of tip somebody over the edge, especially from a fleet perspective, because again, the fleet perspective is one that um, it's a bit challenging here in Alberta for the for the for the fact that it's just it's a technology that has to be learned and um i don't know if there's anything you wanted to speak towards that or um yeah i think uh from a fleet perspective um
2: and i uh, i mean full disclosure i'm an old oil and gas guy i came out of that industry i've i've i worked in you know the oil sands i've worked uh, at uh drilling rig sites and um you know i'm a true you know alberta born kind of thing born and raised and so I definitely can uh understand the, the hesitation uh in moving towards uh e v technology um i I think my advice to uh anybody who's uh looking at going down the road of uh purchasing a new ice resurfacer is um, take a couple steps back and really really have a hard look at the dollars and cents side of it. I think that's where when uh you start really getting into uh what the uh we'll call it the the financial value of uh this equipment is and uh looking past strictly on the fuel side but also taking into account the maintenance cost, the longevity of the equipment, uh the total life cycle of what that equipment will look like and uh what the impact on your overall operations would be. Um I think uh EV technology as a whole is moving incredibly fast, uh, is becoming more and more affordable, um, and is going to continue to uh, become financially advantageous and, of course, uh, uh, reducing our environmental impact. So I I think for a lot of uh, municipalities and a lot of organizations, uh, this really can turn into a win-win on all sides. Chris, if Um, I can
0: jump jump in and ask a question. One of the things I think you're going to find with the, uh, Justin, with the machines, and I think it's going to be a big value to you and other people considering uh, the an electric vehicle, is the reduced maintenance of the vehicle itself. You don't have an engine, which means you don't have uh, oil changes, you don't have tune-ups, and even the engines nowadays that uh, you, you can run spark plugs for a long time, there still is. Uh, air filters—you have to worry about. There's still the the occasional uh, change of the spark plugs. There's also the exhaust system that sometimes gets overlooked by a lot of people in uh, the fact that uh, you uh, have a catalytic device that's going to need to be changed. And I I think and and I don't know what you see up there, and be interesting to get your take on it. But down here in the states, what is electric vehicles from? 25, 30 years ago, I remember the Honda Insight being the first electric car that I really saw. Now you're seeing people buying Teslas and Leafs and all these other different electric options. Young people who are the future drivers of ice resurfacers are seeing their parents buy electric vehicles. Maybe not so much up there, but down here they are. And that's why I think that it's going to be an easier uh, transition. Into an electric vehicle. What's your take on that, Justin? Uh,
2: I, I completely agree with you. I'm, I'm a Tesla owner myself. Uh, I'm just coming up on my one-year anniversary of being an EV driver. Uh, and um, what what I'm seeing in uh, in circles that I run in, and uh, when I'm speaking with uh, uh, people in the community and people in the uh, fleet world, is that um, because uh, EV has evolved so quickly in the last five years and has really become uh, less of a, a luxury um, and more and more of the average person can uh, get into those technologies, um, there's a lot more acceptance. And I think we are moving to a, uh, a state where um, our operators of the future, our, um, our hockey players, our hockey parents. Um, they're, they're going to be looking for these things uh, to uh, really say, you know, what we're we're making a we're having a positive or a neutral impact on the environment, but we're doing it in a fiscally responsible way. And I think that's the balance we're really getting to now is that we're not having to pay a hundred thousand dollar premium to get electric technology. We're getting it uh, very close to on par with what a, a traditional fuel vehicle would be. So when those things all start to come together, um, combined with simply the, uh, the convenience of the electric technology. So now our operators aren't having to haul fuel around. They're not having to go fill up jerry cans. They're not having to get fuel trucks coming to the site to fill their equipment. Um, these are all things that uh, add to the efficiency and the appeal of it. Um, And as we start to get people's hands on this technology a little bit more, get them to understand it, and I think most importantly, put them in the right places at the right times, uh, we'll see continued adoption and uh, I would even suggest continued uh, and increased demand for these technologies to go into place.
0: Yeah, and one of the things I think that you will see also that will push towards electric vehicles is that they're safer. Uh, it, it's not, you don't have to worry about a propane tank uh, or a couple of propane tanks on the back of a machine and then a storage container. You don't have to worry about gasoline cans if, uh, if people operate with gasoline and, you know, even with CNG, it's got its own, uh, own hazards that uh, are associated with, uh, internal combustion fuel. So it, it's, it's something that Younger people coming into the industry, I think, are just going to adapt to it. And, you know, you're, you're an example of driving a Tesla, and that, that's awesome, uh, in uh, oil and gas country. And uh, I just sort of was reading something online that our, our governor has decided to ban sale of all new gasoline-powered cars starting in 2035. So I think the price of electric vehicles is going to go up now down here in California
2: uh you know and there's some really interesting things happening within uh the the industry as a whole i know tesla had their battery day yesterday and some fairly uh significant announcements there around uh you know longevity charging and cost per uh cost per kilowatt hour essentially so um there, there's some big moves happening and i i think uh I'm excited from a fleet perspective to be a bit on the uh, leading edge of it, Uh, like you say, especially in oil and gas country, Um, but not uh, jumping in blind and not doing it at the expense of fiscal responsibility either.
0: That's correct. And and like I say, with Zamboni, and I could preach about this all day long about our uh, time with electric vehicles, we go back to the very first electric machine was built for the 1960 Olympic Games in Squaw Valley, California. And we've been building electric machines uh, ever since then, with the first production ones being the 550. And one of those was used up at the West Edmonton Mall successfully for years. And they, they changed to a 552, I believe, for a bit. Uh, They had that and then when it needed to be replaced, they went with the 450 because the 450 offered a lithium ion battery and a properly sized machine uh, for the size ice surface they had. And uh, the 450, I'm excited about to get people excited about electric machines in the Canadian marketplace. And Chris, maybe you can elaborate a little bit more to see what you guys are seeing on your end with quotations and uh, where you see it going. What's your take?
1: Well, right now, the message right now in Alberta is that net zero. A lot of the municipalities throughout Alberta want to be the leader of some sort when it comes to trying to find more economical ways of managing their communities. And, you know, when we put that machine into West Edmonton Mall, that one there, again, from their perspective, there's no off-gassing. So any of the users that are walking by, um, we're getting some of that off-gas smell from the machine, and we're kind of curious. Now they're not going to see that, and it's it's one that's gained a lot of attention throughout Alberta. So speaking from the 450 perspective, the lithium ion is um, even if it is the lead acid, it's electric, and I'm starting to see that change now with regards to a lot of the municipalities where um, anything popping up they're talking about um, the change. What are the differences? How is it going to save them? And when you start getting into the meat of it, just as Justin's talking about here, is that cost of ownership. That has been a big piece for a lot of these uh, individuals because again, not so much in the ag societies. The ag societies are a little bit um, uh, slow to the catch, but as far as the major municipalities, they're, they're eating up the idea of uh, the change how how they can get their facilities you know cleaner for the users, um, <clears throat> There really isn't much to say again, we are again being the the gas capital of Canada where um we've had an industry that was oil related for so long that technology needs to change and technology needs to advance. What are some of the ways we're doing it? so they're looking at different perspectives here. And, you know, I see it through my travels where I'm seeing the uh, solar panels as you enter communities. So change is happening. And I think we're right on the right time. And the 450 couldn't have come out at
0: a, at a better time. I, I concur with that. And um, it's it just it's something that the, the marketplace was ready. Um, we're seeing it more and more across Canada in areas that maybe weren't as popular with an electric vehicle and and i think again has to do with marketplace in the states down here michigan is definitely um lagging behind other states uh in customers going with an electric and i think that has to do with it being uh you know what i refer to as the car capital of the world with detroit and all the automobile manufacturing so justin where do you envision your uh fleet being is this something that's going to um Evolve strictly to electric vehicles or do you think that there's still uh, a chance you guys will consider uh, fossil fuel machines in your fleet
2: um you know i i i never like to say uh there's there's an absolute to go one way or the other um the approach that uh, we're really taking is um each at this point in time each fuel source has a uh a specific place where it should be used, could be used, and maybe ought to be used. Um, I think uh, as a whole, not only for our ice resurfacers, but our entire fleet, uh, we're looking at opportunities where where electric is going to make sense. Um, We do have another Zamboni or another ice resurfacer, I guess, on the books for 2022 that we've decided that we are going to take a hard look and see, does electric make sense there? Um, We'll have a I know a year better uh, experience with the 450s, which will certainly uh, shine some light if it's the right decision. Um, but uh, we are uh, also in the C&G business. We own and operate our own C&G facility. We still own and operate uh, gas wells um, and our own uh, gas department. Um, so our our perspective is really not necessarily taking an idealistic approach to uh, where we're going to go, but taking a very practical and pragmatic approach to make sure we're getting the, the right uh, fuels into the right machines for the right reasons, um, and taking a holistic approach to uh, how we manage our environmental footprint.
0: That's great, that's great. And, and that's, uh, Chris, I don't know if you're seeing that as well with your other customers, uh, in municipalities, I'm going to assume that they're uh, you know again, being the the marketplace that you are, it's it's slightly different than the Quebec marketplace uh, or BC where they're trending more and more towards electric uh, with with the choices. But uh, again, I think that it's going to have to be uh, going that way uh, in Alberta just because I think the younger crowd that's coming into this business is more used to electric vehicles, and they're not—they're not going to have the reservations. And I think the technology has has changed immensely. Uh, I'm excited as all get out about lithium ion uh, in the electric machine that we produce down here in the states because we're seeing probably I was guessing that we would see a 60 to 70 percent take rate, and we're seeing you know 90 plus percent take rate of lithium ion over lead acid. And the number one factor that's been talked about is eliminating the maintenance side of things. And I think, Justin, you're going to see that uh, as being a huge, huge uh, play for your people and that they're going to have less to do. They'll be able to focus on other vehicles as part of your fleet. They're not going to have to spend as much time uh, taking care of things uh, on the resurfacer side at the ranks.
2: I, I completely agree. I think uh, it's a lot of those, uh, we'll call it added, added values, that will come out of uh, moving to this technology Um, and really all of it really amounts to uh, improved efficiencies and financial wins uh, right across the board and um, of course doing that in an environmentally friendly and sustainable way uh, really checks all the boxes.
0: Yeah, in this day and age, uh, anything that uh, is green or it's Uh, The net zero, uh, that's a a buzz phrase that uh, we've uh, jumped onto, and it it seems to play very well. Uh, One of the things we've seen down here with facilities, I don't know how it is in smaller municipalities in Canada, because you guys, I think, have a few less lawyers than we have down here, Um, but by eliminating fuel from the building, uh, they're able to see reduced rates um, from their insurance companies because they're taking... Uh, emissions out of the building. They are taking the fuel out of the building, um, and they are also reducing costs by not having to ventilate the facility as often. And you get that down south of the Mason-Dixon line, where the two uh, the two powerhouse hockey communities that everybody would think would be playing the Stanley Cup Finals up in Edmonton, uh, being Tampa and Dallas, uh, those places don't generally cool down very often. So. Electric vehicles down there, especially in the ice resurfacer world where you're not having to introduce hot, humid air into the ice rink, uh, make a lot of sense. Going back to
1: the earlier statement, um, you know, somebody who was in recreation like myself for a long time, the biggest thing was, you know, making it safe for the kids at play. And having this technology, again, when I come from the old tractor mount um, years of driving, you know the the amount of CO2 is going into the air, and you go home at night and you're smelling to the point now where if you're driving an electric, especially the lithium, you're not having those issues anymore. And the kids are are able to use the facility, operators, everybody themselves like they're just safe around it. And as far as the um, the lithium has been progressing, right now the smaller communities here in Alberta are adopting it a lot quicker than say the major municipalities. You know. The fact that Medicine Hat moved forward was, you know, uh, it was a huge success just in the fact that uh, it's a major municipality in Alberta. And when we have four major, four or five five major municipalities in Alberta that uh, are yet to adopt, um, aside from Medicine Hat, this has actually been a pretty good uh, progression here in Alberta. But like I say, the smaller municipalities are uh, actually quite jump on board. Just for the fact of those reasons, is it's just it's more economical for the community.
2: Yeah, and I, I keep going back to it, guys. I think when you look at uh, kind of the trifecta of financial responsibility and environmental stewardship and uh, health and safety for both uh, workers uh, and the community, it really seems like an opportunity where you can't go wrong. And it seems like the technology has finally caught up where we can,
1: we can have all three. The the maintenance, the maintenance itself is going to be one that's going to really help you guys uh in the future. Cause, you know, the the amount when you looked at your old units compared to where you're going to be moving forward on this one, um, you know, mine and your visits are just gonna be, hey, how's it going? instead of the visits of what maintenance can we do for you.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, I, I think uh it's really changing the way uh Our technicians internally are thinking as well and of course there's going to be work for them for uh, a long long time but um, it's really getting them excited uh, that they're going to get the opportunity to uh, learn a new part of their trade and so um, being able to uh, engage those uh, our technical staff to really um,
0: uh, get excited about learning and doing something different again Chris, I think uh, that as long as there's drivers that are out there driving our equipment, there's always going to be a need for service because you're not going to eliminate the guy forgetting to lift the conditioner as they come off the ice. You're not going to eliminate the fact that they drive it into the boards or drive it into a pit. So, uh, I, you know, th- this might reduce some of the sales of parts, but I really don't think it's going to eliminate it.
1: Oh, you're right. It's just a little fun I like to have with uh, Jason? Uh, just based on the fact that yeah this is definitely going to be a win-win for everybody but no the conditioner itself you're right Um, but when i look at um, just the overall just this 450 you know it's one that i wish i would have had when i was an operator because you know you can just get excited by behind it Um, you know we talk about the technology I was just talking to an operator yesterday or a manager yesterday and it's not like people are jumping at the gun to to get into recreation everybody wants on their bucket list an opportunity to drive a zamboni but to become an operator is one that has always been a challenge but now with the technology of the connect and the technology of the uh, lithium-ion it's actually creating a whole new um, zest for what it's going to mean for these individuals starting in the career of recreation whether it is just the guy retiring, or just the guy starting up their career. Like that, connect alone um, is just a huge piece to talk about when we're talking to everybody in facilities on the training, on the data collection, and the data collection for fleet, being that they're able to see what's going on with that piece of equipment, and then it's going to be um, looking at what's going on, and potentially uh, in the future, maybe predicting uh, the lifespan of that piece of equipment. So. And I'm, I'm, you know, we let Justin speak towards uh, what that might mean for them.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, that's one of the, uh, one of the maybe big question marks we have beside this and is traditionally we would put a life cycle on our, uh, on our units of uh, about seven to 10 years before we uh, either have to make a major investment in um, uh, rebuilding them or uh, we start to look to divest them and uh, get something new um with uh electric technology being what it is and uh the projected price of battery technology coming down um we're starting to put some question marks beside uh can we extend that life cycle out which then again uh adds to the the value added um, to this piece of equipment um I think uh, the the Connect system is going to be game changing as that continues to evolve. Uh, The more we can have uh, real-time feedback on what's going on with the unit, uh, the better diagnostics, the understanding of uh, who's doing what, how they're being operated. It's going to give us the ability to manage the risks that uh, inherently come with the operation of a piece of equipment and have those early interventions that can prevent uh, extended downtimes um, or unnecessary uh, wear and tear on
0: components. Well, one of the things I want to touch on that uh, you commented about with Samboni Connect, and I've used this a few uh, other discussions that we've had, Justin. I grew up uh, in Minnesota. My dad worked for the North Stars for the first eight years of their existence. And, and I refer to it as if that technology was available back when I was young uh, and my dad was working there, probably would have seen a little bit more of them during the winter months. Uh, The Zamboni Connect is something that enables you uh, or whoever you deem that you want to be monitoring that to not have to be tied to the facility to see what's going on looking into the machine. And, And that's one of the things I'm excited about with this product and what's made it easy for me to sell to our customers down here in the States is the ability to just know what's going on and and then to again use it to train Uh, marty elliott uh, was my counterpart up at our canadian plant uh, uh, tipped me to that and that is was something i hadn't thought about until he mentioned it but when you can look at your operators and maybe your facility might not have or your facilities might not have uh, 20 different operators there's a bunch of facilities down here in the states where Uh, they've got multiple operators and more operators than I think they'd like to have. And they're drivers. They're not ice makers. I I refer to people as either a driver or an ice maker. And it's, it's something that I think that you're going to really enjoy that feature on the machine uh, to get a look into it. And you can set it up to give you alerts uh, to, Hey, it's time to either send our guy out or have IMI go out and change out the oil filter. It's time to, Have them come out and do this based on how many hours are on the machine. And that plays well, I think, into giving you the ability to focus on other equipment that you might not have these options available to you on.
2: Absolutely. I think that's uh, one of the key things we're really excited about is the uh, we'll call it the, the visibility over. Uh, what's going on with the machine and then our ability to translate that into effective and timely either preventative maintenance, predictive maintenance or um, non-maintenance in some cases. Um, I know one of the traps that often uh, fleets get uh, roped into is in an attempt to be uh, proactive uh, end up over-servicing. Um, which has its own inefficiencies that come with it and its own environmental impact and its own cost impact. Uh, so if we can get to the point where we're doing the right service at the right time with the right information, have that information at our fingertips, it's going to help us to plan our uh, our resources better and uh, make sure our technical staff and our operational staff have the information they need in a timely manner to make the
1: best decisions they can. Yeah, and going in towards that, sorry Doug, going in towards the, uh, just the training aspect of it, And that's one of the things that we had talked about here as well was, you know, using that data, the data that you're seeing uh, from day to day is one where an operator gets to look at that, so from that perspective is, is when that operator is on that piece of equipment and they can see that that last flood took them um, seven minutes and they're like, whoa, I went too fast, how can I change that? and they see now the value of slowing the machine down or they see that, whoa, I used too much water. And they see it on the ice, but they also see it in the volume. So they get to see live um, the things that they're doing. So it's now recreating at a different level, that operator again, and you know having the ability, and that's one thing that I had talked to Justin about, and uh, it's what we're doing here for IMI is, is that we're monitoring that connect with all of our customers. And that way, when we see issues arise, um, we know when it's time or not time to contact the customer. If it's something that deems a phone call, we can just right away phone the customer and say, "Hey, this popped up. Do you need us, or do you guys have it covered?" And so far, you know, we've had to rely on that twice, and the customer actually was able to, uh, you know, thank us for that information and and um, push the feedback of, "No, we don't need you," or "Yeah, we need you." and also uh in re- in regards
2: to maybe building on the uh the training component I-, I think there's also an opportunity that uh operators can use it uh use the data to have a little bit of healthy competition uh and you know really compare okay you know here's this here's the ice i was able to make in this amount of time and here's what we think our our spec time should be how close can we get this how consistent can we be And uh, really, uh, really create some camaraderie and some consistency in uh, the operational staff.
0: Yeah, we we did a podcast with the uh, Arizona Coyotes, uh, one of their practice buildings, and it really um, was something that they uh believed in and they're they're like the one percenters I, i'm going to refer to them as as to where they've taken this they've been able to utilize it to go back if they had complaints uh from user groups and say hey this is uh this is what we did this is where we're at uh these are our numbers they compare uh comparably to what uh another resurface was that uh, we didn't get a com- uh, complaint from so it's it's data And I think that uh, as an old dinosaur that I refer to myself as, uh, the younger crowds are into this analytics. They're into information. Uh, Anything that you can do to provide them additional information, uh, they just eat it up. And I I think that your staff at the facilities are gonna find it very beneficial. You're gonna find it very beneficial because it's gonna help you uh, keep the equipment uh, running and you're gonna be able to see things uh, that you wouldn't be able to see without that product.
1: So, Justin, we're coming up too close here. Um, Was there anything else you wanted to speak towards with regards to maybe the MCCAC or towards the uh, technology? I think number one, the MCCAC has been
2: absolutely fantastic to work with Um, because of the funding they are able to provide. It really did uh, make this project financially feasible and allowed us to step into this world. Um, And and I can't say uh, enough Uh, enough positive things about uh, my dealings with them. They've been great to deal with. They've helped us through this every step of the way, uh, flexed with us when we needed some flexibility due to things out of all of our control. Um, In terms of the technology, uh, I'm definitely a big supporter of this technology. Uh, I know it's still early days in us getting going on this, but everything uh, we were, uh, I guess I'll call it sold by IMI. and. Uh, Zamboni so far seems to be playing out uh, to be accurate and true and those are the results we're seeing. So uh, I think we're uh, excited to see that continue and uh, no reason we wouldn't expect it to be. Um, and then uh, on just a final note, um, uh, we're just about to uh, do some, um, I'll call them media releases uh, around the Zambonis uh, themselves uh, and um, also uh roll out some uh new graphics that uh we're using to brand uh our our EV products so um this has really been a i think a pivotal point in our fleet's uh history where we're really starting to make a serious uh serious change towards the EV world in
0: a uh financially responsible way that's awesome justin uh, look forward to seeing that uh, we always love to see the different wraps that are on our machines uh, and anything that can be done to promote uh, promote the the direction of going electric. I'm very pleased that Justin was able
1: to join us, and you know speak highly of the technology and the changes that they're making within their municipality. And um, that's everything I need to speak towards. And again, uh, thank you, Justin, for being a part of this.
2: You bet, and thank you, Chris, and I'm I for. Uh, putting up with all my, my phone calls and emails and inquiries and really uh, being a huge uh, supporter and partner and guiding us through this journey to get us to where we are.
0: Well, I, I want to also jump on that, Justin. We're very lucky to have IMI as one of our dealers. Uh, they've been with us for many, many years. I've been blessed in the 33 years I've been with Zamboni to uh, work with Jason and his mother. And uh, it's now nice to see new people like Chris coming on board. And Chris is uh, going to be there to uh, take that company to uh, to new and better places uh, you know, and expand on what they've done for us. So uh, thank you, Chris. Thank you, Justin, for being one of our customers. Uh, it's, it's awesome. I want to thank both uh, Chris Fish from IMI and Justin Brunell from the City of Medicine Hat for spending time with us today. We want to thank all of you for listening to another episode of Ask the Zamboni Experts podcast. Have a question for one of our experts or an idea for a future episode? Please email your questions or requests to infozamboni.com. For more info and additional podcast episodes, please visit zamboni.com forward slash podcast or search Ask the Zamboni Experts on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. This is Doug Peters wishing you a nice day.